Welcome to Indie Insider, the weekly show where we chat with video game industry professionals about their projects, their stories, their advice to others, and of course, their thoughts on everything indie. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show, I sit down with Chris Solarski, artist and author of the newly released book, Interactive Stories and Video Game Art. The two of us chat about his fascinating journey through the industry, his new book, working with an all-star team on a new project, and, of course, his advice for others. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the internet. And please, leave a review. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Finally, special thanks to Chris for joining us on the show, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, video game artist and author, Chris Solarski. Welcome to Indie Insider Today. I am talking with Chris Solarski. Chris, how are you? How's it going? Uh, I'm good, thanks. I've just, I'm actually the father of a six and a half month old son, so things are a little bit more hectic these days than they were before, but... <laughs> Understandable. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank oh, you. That's fantastic. Uh, what is your child's name? Oh, he's uh, called Charlie. Charlie. Wonderful. Yes, yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Chris, I'm excited to talk to you. Where where are you as we chat in this moment? Uh, I'm based in Zurich, Switzerland. Um, I'm originally from London, um, but I, my, I met my wife while traveling, and she's Swiss, and I ended up uh, kind of following her back <laughs> to, to Zurich, <laughs> uh, Switzerland. Excellent. Do you like Switzerland? Oh, I love it. It's uh, I actually grew up, well, I was born in London and grew up there. But um, when I studied, I uh, studied on the coast, on the south coast in Portsmouth. And the more time I spent away from London, the more stressful I realized how, how stressful the city is every time I went back. And I realized it's sort of not, not for me. It's, it's um, yeah, the commuting, the number of people. And, and Zurich is uh, actually quite perfect. It's the biggest city in Switzerland, but it feels like a village by comparison so <laughs> i can really focus on my work and and still be uh, sort of you know within a short flight distance to most cities in in europe so uh, sure, a really excellent. fantastic place to work good for you well tell me just a little bit about your work why are you here on the indian cider podcast uh sure it's um well the th- Things I'm the probably most known for are the two books uh, that I've written. Uh, the first one is called Drawing Basics and Video Game Art, and that focuses on the teaching about the fundamentals of traditional art for video games, uh, but with a focus on on drawing. So it's it's sort of predominantly for game artists wanting to to get a foundation in in uh, classical arts theory okay. okay uh the new book interactive storytelling and video game art is um my solution to how to translate all the techniques which i found fascinating which i developed sort of uh, was fascinated myself by for the first book but uh, accessible to the whole development team so i uh, looking at how to translate predominantly sort of a concept of composition from classical painting and how just with the addition of uh, the player and uh, understanding how movement affects those classical concepts, how we can uh, have like a stronger understanding of the aesthetics of games and uh, hopefully create more meaningful and emotionally 
powerful games in the future. So th those are sort of my the, the two things I've done. But I'm also a, a game designer, so I'm currently doing a, a very exciting project with one of my heroes called Phil Hale, uh, who's a, a, a quite a well-known illustrator and figurative painter, and he's asked me to do a video game that interprets a character called Johnny Badhair. Uh, which he's been painting <laughs> since he was 15 years old. And it's a very iconic series of paintings. And um, it's sort of like a, a pleasure to be working on the project because it combines my uh, specialization in a way, sort of uh, classical art theory and, and game design. And now I'm interpreting a series of paintings and turning them into video games. That's incredible. That's fantastic. Congratulations on the books. I know your most recent one just released last year, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, t uh, t I think the date is uh, December 2016, but it's it's only going out now, actually. There was a small delay, so uh, people oh, okay. are just receiving. So, yeah, j January 2017. It's brand uh, so new. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It's well-deserved. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't read the entire book, but I've looked through it. It, it looks fantastic, um, and I can already tell you're a very intelligent guy, so I'm excited to <laughs> you. Uh, pick your brain about sure. all of this. But Let's rewind a little bit, because obviously you can see uh, you're already producing some really great work, you're working on some great projects, um, but let's go back to the beginning. How did you, how did you start in the industry? Uh, sure. Um, I sort of always kind of reluctant to go on for too long about my biography, but I suppose it might be useful sort of further into the <laughs> interview to uh, use as some touch points. But it was, I, I studied computer animation at university. Oh, okay. And um, I often sort of highlight that it was uh, very much focused on, on the digital side, of course. We had some drawing um, then sort of traditional uh, sort of art lessons, but uh, it was predominantly digital. And uh, I was later on very lucky to get a job, uh, sort of or actually two months after graduating, uh, to work at Sony Computer Entertainment's uh, London studio. Oh, and okay. there I started off as an environment artist on a World Tour Soccer, uh, sort of a game for the PS2 and later the PSP. And uh, then uh, after a year, I... Uh, realized that um, what I really wanted to do was uh, sort of actually get better as an artist because I I attended a, a workshop uh, organized by uh, conceptarts.org and uh, I, I went to the workshop thinking that I was sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, kind of have feelings of self-importance that I work at Sony. This was a company I <laughs> sure. always wanted to, you know, I thought I could retire there. It was very exciting. But then I saw uh, concept artists do demos on stage. Uh, one of them was Andrew, Android Jones, who's a, who was a concept artist on the the Retroid Prime, uh, the new new series. Um, he he no longer works uh, sort of on, for Nintendo, but uh, he he did a demo of um, drawing a character from his imagination, half uh, also half from the model that was in the room. And I realized that my skills compared to this guy were sort of inconsequential. Sort of like he he was so far ahead of me. And that uh, I realized that what I really need to do is study uh, traditional art. You know, he'd, he'd even uh, done stints in uh, a medical school to study anatomy alongside the uh, medical students and things like that. And I thought, um, you know, it, in a very competitive sense, I thought this is what I want to, these are the kind of people I want to compete with. And I realized that having done a digital education purely, I really need to uh, study the classical techniques. And so I started painting, using up all my holidays uh, at work at Sony to attend a painting course on Mondays. I enrolled on a painting class on Sundays. I would go to life drawing class Saturday morning. Also, the, we had life drawing at work as well uh, once a month. And uh, I became sort of like more and more fascinated by this world of uh, classical art because I realized that um, I can actually learn it, that uh, classical art 
is is not uh, or art in general is not uh, like a gift uh, that you have or you have haven't it's uh, there there is so much craft behind it that you can learn and um i ended up moving to uh, the gangs of london team on uh, at sony and starting to do characters which i never thought i could but because i was doing so much figurative painting uh that became a reality uh, but after a while i actually quit uh, that job because I realized that if I really want to compete with people like um, uh, like Andrew Android Jones, uh, then I, I've, I'm not going to achieve it just by working studying part time. Uh, so I took uh, two years out um, and uh, went to Poland where my family is from, and I studied uh, just painting every day in the in a university there. I had five models to reference. Uh, in the studio and um, that was really where I got so fascinated by classical art that I thought I wouldn't even work in games anymore that figurative painting was my my calling so I, I really wanted to always I, I use the word competition like it's, it's sort of like I enjoy the challenge of thinking uh, you know seeing um, identifying my heroes and thinking okay this is so exciting I want to paint on a level like these people and I always just kind of uh, very naively go for it you know I, I, I never doubt myself that if I work hard enough <laughs> and then then I'm gonna achieve it and um, so this was two years of really focused um, study uh, so from books from DVDs going to specialist courses um, and then just uh, sort of before I go on for too long about my biography it's uh, what happened later on was that I was working in games for a small company here in Zurich uh, part-time and painting uh, on sort of uh, two days two or three days per week and for a long time, I actually thought that the two disciplines were very diff uh, separate. Like I was sort of working in games for, for money, um, but I, what I really wanted to do was portrait painting and figurative sure. painting. Um, but I was invited to uh, speak at a conference here in Switzerland by the Swiss Arts Council because they were um, it was a new program they were launching to, um, to invest money in, in game development. And they wanted to validate games because, uh, you know, games have a sort of a stigma uh, surrounding them, sort of the uh, sort of or at least back back then, especially sort of the, you know, violent games or are they uh, even of art artistic value? And so they asked me whether if I could give a talk about uh, what's my, my, uh, based on my background as a a game designer, game artist, and my traditional uh, painting background. So how does the traditional art influence my video game art? And that was the first time where I actually realized that rather than kind of splitting my uh, myself, you know, thinking about these disciplines as two very separate things, it was the first time when I started to realize that there's actually there's so much that we uh, that we uh, that I understand or like that I've learned from this craft of classical painting. Uh, that we still don't apply or don't fully understand, uh, you know, how it how it can be used to its fullest in game design, and and really it's it just becomes such a passion, uh, you know, that I sort of ended up writing these two books and. Um, you know, and still discovering new things, and uh, now um, combine that with film techniques, and it's sort of it's a uh, it's a whole language that I sort of um, enjoying t uh, sort of ex the exploration of, um, and it's sort of like the the goal has always been to for me to understand uh, sort of how how games work because it's always uh, you know for the game is the games industry is so young that we. Um, uh, we still don't fully understand sort of what what it is, uh, sort of how it works, how game design, how games work uh, aesthetically, and the mechanisms. And it's, it's sort of my way of uh, finding a theory or a framework that that works for me and makes makes things understandable. You know, Chris, I mean that's a that's an amazing story. You've been all over the place, and uh, you give me a lot to to think about. So I want to start diving into a couple of things sure. that you mentioned. Um, you know, we kind of started at the beginning with uh, you at university. Um, looking into computer animation, how did you decide that that was something that you wanted to do? When did you realize that was, you know, a calling for you? Uh, that happened quite late. That um, you know, like with most uh, sort of people growing up, you know, the the usual route is that you, well, in in, the, in England especially, I think it's that you 
finish uh, what I think would be high school or sort of uh, college, so at the, around the age of 18. Sure. And uh, then you often a lot of uh, uh, sort of kids in the UK go backpacking. Uh, sort of, I don't know, to Asia or South America or somewhere. And then they go to university. Uh, whereas my, um, when I finished uh, college, uh, so when I, when I sort of graduated sort of at the age of 18, I actually didn't have, uh, didn't even graduate. I failed everything that I'd oh, wow. uh, sort of signed up for because I'd uh, earlier decided that I'd, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like when you're 16, you, you have no, really no idea what you want to do. And I thought, well, I, I like, enjoy surfing. I like the sea. And so based on <laughs> those ingredients, I'm going to be a marine <laughs> biologist. Um, but oh, wow. uh, I'm sort of, um, I'm very, very bad uh, when it comes to mathematics and, and things like that. And um, so, but I, because I'd made this simple decision, sort of like based on this uh, interest, I, I went for chemistry, maths, and geology. And so I had actually, when I started, I had ended up having no interest in, in these subjects uh, at all. You know, I just tried to make it through, failed. And, but what I really wanted to do in the end, I wasn't even interested in studying. I just wanted to travel. Um, and so I ended up uh, working for, maybe it's not so interesting for the um, interview, but it's, it was just, I don't know, working in a stationery shop. No, this is great. Pa- painting the walls of my, for my dad, sort of like a, he, he runs a sort of like a interior decorating business. And it was just these uh, jobs, which I did very passionately because they were always, I had this goal of going traveling. So the first trip I did was a snowboarding season in Austria. Then I worked in a stationery shop, went uh, to uh, around the world for five months um, and I had no intention of studying at all because it's I always saw university as um, uh, just for its traditional topics so you know the sciences and uh, languages and things like that mm-hmm. but it was actually a friend that I met while I was traveling who proposed that I do uh, multimedia uh, sort of a course in multimedia which is what he was doing and I thought okay web design you know that's that's actually not not hard work you know I, I would actually enjoy uh, studying something like that but then that quickly changed to animation I thought oh wow if I could work at Pixar and you know no, and my, my thinking is always I will work at Pixar you know if I put, <laughs> put, put my mind to it and so I just uh, started uh, signing up for courses uh, university courses in England and I had no portfolio whatsoever and it was uh, just through pure luck that I got onto the course because they'd made some mistakes like with the application process and refused a few people and decided to take a few more on. So at first I even felt like a bit of a imposter, you know, because I, I would, if I'd gone through the process officially, I wouldn't even uh, ended up on the course. Sure. Um, but I ended up getting one of the highest grades um, on graduation, on graduating. So it's sort of like when I, uh, you know, I, 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 I Got onto the course without the right qualifications, but uh, you know when I worked so hard, uh, you know doing something that I genuinely enjoyed, um, and and sort of got a, a, a good good grade at the end of it. That's amazing. You kind of just stumbled onto this, you know, career, this life that you've built for yourself. That's incredible. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's always. I think all all the opportunities that I'm very thankful for. Usually, it's just it's always this feeling that I have that it's it's just because I'm uh, I enjoy meeting people. I travel. I love traveling, and uh, you know, I have friends all around the world. And sort of the more open you are about, or the op- sorry, I'll, I'll sort of apply it to myself. The more open I am. Um, about what I do, what my passion is, uh, the more people, uh, the more opportunities I have to talk about those um, interests and sort of the more doors open up, it seems. So you mentioned that you then went to work with Sony Computer Entertainment in London, right? Um, And you mentioned that this was a job that you were pretty proud of and pretty happy with. Were, Were you familiar with, you know, video games? Did you spend time playing video games before you ended up working at Sony? Uh, yes, I mean, I, I always played games, uh, you know, where, like for me, it was the Nintendo Entertainment System and Duck Hunt and stuff like that. And before Excellent. it was yep. like the uh, Amstrad and the Spectrum as so playing games like Gauntlet. And uh, I can't even remember the, the other ones with, with the tape deck where you had to sort of load the game for 10 minutes. Uh, so, the <laughs> you know, like, so those I enjoyed those I always um, enjoyed those games 
for a short while um because i I, even now i don't describe myself as a or i describe myself more as a casual uh game player that i don't enjoy games with a huge challenge where i have to repeat uh sort of a section over and over again and so i always enjoyed games um uh, but for a short while, they were always too difficult. And uh, so, um, but when I was at university, um, what changed my direction? Because I originally said that I wanted, I went studied computer animation to become an animator with the intention of becoming an ad- animator at Pixar. Right. But at, in the last year, I picked up a copy of Edge magazine, uh, which was a lot better, I would say, back then. Like it's become a bit more mainstream. <laughs> uh, only, right. uh, I mean, only because it's sort of become more mainstream now. Um, but it was much more critical, um, uh, sort of m- much more thought-provoking um, in terms of the articles that they wrote, how they discussed games. Right, and sure. when I picked up this copy, it was the first time that I heard someone, uh, you know, sort of uh, read an article where games were really treated very, very seriously. Uh, sort of, and and I, I sort of immediately realized, thought to myself, wow, this is such a young medium. There's so much to do here, you know. And because they were, they uh, the articles always talked about, um, rather than saying this is a fantastic game, ten out of ten, they always uh, criticize what's uh, how how they're the same as what came before and what could be done better. And I got so excited by this that I realized that, uh, you know, it's it's, it's a small. Uh, jump to make but sort of from computer animation to sort of uh, computer games and uh, I just became very passionate with that and um, it was around the time that uh, Halo on the Xbox was released the first one Halo Combat Evolved Mm -hmm. Uh, the Nintendo GameCube was out and uh, you know I I played through Halo it's still one of my favorite games of all time so I was playing a lot then but um it's sort of like still games which are not too difficult and sort of <laughs> like I so I um, don't even now I don't play that many games per year maybe six uh, sort of quite picky they have to be relatively short two hours to six or eight maximum and mm-hmm. um, sort of more narrative driven ones as well so it's, it's definitely not formal game design you know sort of these Something like uh, as as good as Super Meat Boy is, it's just too challenging for me. I just don't have the <laughs> the, pa- the patience, and it's sort of those kind of games that I don't enjoy enjoy playing. And nothing against Super Meat Boy, just uh, my my patience. Uh, <laughs> fair that. enough, fair enough. That's all right. Well, I want to really talk to you about this painting that you ended up doing, uh, and I think there was uh, I, I, I guess I'll call it a gap in the story that I I want to fill in. So you went uh, and studied for two years and you did all this painting. And you said in, in your story that you didn't even know if you wanted to do games anymore. You just wanted to do painting all the time. That was what you wanted to do with your life. And that at one point you were just making the games for money, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. What was the mentality that really brought you back around to, I guess, combining those two fully? What was that like? Uh, sure, because it's uh, well to, to start out. It was uh, just it was a very exciting experience to begin with. That when I started painting, um, I really wasn't confident at drawing. I always had this. Uh, I have this cousin who's been drawing since he was very young, and I always thought, "Oh wow, I wish I could draw as well as him." Um, mm-hmm. And after a while, I just realised that the only difference between us two is that he draws and I don't. And so I just started enrolling on courses. It's my way often of motivating myself. If I financially commit to something, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, you're sure. kind of, you've got a, a reason to go. And uh, what was exciting about the first course was that I uh, was being taught by an artist called Brendan Kelly, who's an award-winning figurative painter. And there's a, London itself has a very exciting portrait painting scene, uh, very progressive uh, surrounding the BP Portrait Award at the National Portrait Gallery. And um, so what was exciting here was that this uh, I was being taught by a very advanced painter and um, really discovering this whole language. There's so many books, uh, so many you know contemporary artists who are at such a high level. For me, it's like the, the Formula One of art. Uh, like when you see <laughs> the work of these oil painters, you know, there's no control Z to undo anything. They really 
do an amazing job to interpret the human form. Um, and so it was just um, looking at the games industry, I just didn't see uh, anything that I thought was as challenging. Um, you know, that, that sort of, I thought that, uh, I still do sort of traditional art is something that you, you, in a way you'll never be happy with your own skills. It's something that you're going to be developing for the rest of your life. And so this, this was really, uh, exciting. I thought, because I had a, in a way, what I tend to do is I always have this image of where I would like to be or sort of like the kind of people I would like to uh as i said compete with or sort of like these um this arena of of where i want to see my my artwork sure and uh this was sort of very uh squarely on my mind whereas when this conference came up in switzerland what um what happens was uh that i realized that i could transfer all these techniques to games and uh, actually raise perhaps help raise the industry to uh, be uh, even more artistic than it already is um, so I'm kind of hesitating I hope that doesn't sound arrogant no anyway. no no no, no not so that, okay but it's, it's sort of like I could I, I, I realized that all these fascinating techniques that I saw these painters using were not effectively being used in games. And um, I still, I mean, I still draw, uh, do life drawing to, uh, you know, quite uh, fairly regularly now. Um, but I sort of, it just became such a exciting opportunity for me to combine both of my interests and um, yeah, try to bring this uh, esteem that I have for painting and the figurative, contemporary figurative, figurative painters and sort of translate those techniques to games. So I hope that kind of answers your question. I'm not sure. No, it absolutely does. I appreciate your response. It's, it's extremely thoughtful. So thank you. What time period was this when you were kind of going through this um, mental approach to the industry? Uh, sure, this was... Um, I, f I think I finished the two years of painting in when I was 24. I'm 38 today, actually, my birthday, <laughs> okay. my birthday today. And, uh, and I think it was around the when I was 27 um, that I, I started to, I had the opportunity to do this uh, conference. And uh, so it's, it's like it, I kind of tend to sort of, uh, I like to say that it was relatively late. Um, sure. That's, you know, a lot of um, students sort of tend to, you know, want to achieve things very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, but sort of 22 is already too late, 23, 24. But um, I don't know, I, I think I started very late, you know, when I started to, uh, to draw regularly, to life drawing regularly, I went from not being able to draw a figure uh, very well at all, you know, just the same level as your average person, to really starting to get results just through regular practice. And uh, this was at the age of 24. And, you know, now I, I've just... Um, you know, I, I realized that I, what, what kept me going was the realization that I don't have all the time in the world that, you know, if I really want to get this job as a, um, uh, as a concept artist or uh, sort of as a figurative painter, then, um, you know, I have to really commit myself to, to study. And in a way, sorry, I, I've actually just realized that I missed something from my uh, my uh, kind of uh, prolonged uh, biography. But it was oh. actually what what's, what originally got me uh, was uh, sort of interested in painting was that actually the first the job that I went from wanting to work for Pixar to working for a games company to being a concept artist. Uh, I think that's uh, sort of an important thing that I missed out that I realized that I, I want to actually, rather than be the person who takes the ideas of somebody else and um, creates a 3D model for a game, mm -hmm. uh, sort of skins it, texture, textures it, I would like to be the artist that actually gets to create uh, the illustrations that set the style and the look of the characters and the environment. Um, but that, that quickly turned into a, a love for figurative painting. Uh, sure. So it was sort of like a, a mix of those things. So I, I kind of, you know, jumping around uh, from uh, between, I mean, it's not such a 
a big difference between concept art and uh, figurative painting, but I mm-hmm. I did do a lot of jumping around, uh, like changing direction from uh, year to year. Um, but slowly it, it sort of uh, ended up being a specialization in the sense that I combined all those interests together into something which is fairly uh, sort of unique to my experience and sort of like has yeah, become a specialization uh, of mine. I appreciate the idea that you were kind of giving off before about how uh, it's not too late to learn something or to achieve something, Um, you know, even if you're 24 or or maybe even, you know, older than that, right? This is a fairly young industry, the video game industry is, uh, but it's, it's not too late, right? You can, you know, pick up and draw, you can make your first game, Uh, and this being the Indie Insider podcast, and for all those aspiring developers out there, I just... I don't know. I appreciate that idea you were sharing, Chris. Uh, sure, no, it's, it's definitely. I mean, when uh, um, when it comes to drawing, you know, you can start uh, any any time in your life and get very good results as long as you have a good teacher, uh, because there's, um, you know, I, uh, it really can change your perspective of uh of yourself so sort of what what you can achieve depending mm-hmm. on who's uh who you're learning from um the one thing i would say is that the games industry especially the working for the big developers that the the only thing to watch out for i suppose is that um they have very long working hours and game development can be very very tough uh if you're working for a big studio and so it doesn't one it doesn't might not fit someone who is older that kind of lifestyle you know you might not have much energy or time Mm -hmm. you might have a family to look after and from that side also the studios are sometimes reluctant to take people who are maturer and sort of have (laughs) sort of a their own opinion they they sort of like to perhaps uh, take the young younger talent that is uh, happy to sort of be pushed a little bit more and that's sometimes is the case so it's it's if you are older it might be um better to consider starting uh, yeah your own studio or joining a smaller team but definitely i would uh, never uh, you know like uh, you know if you fall in love with something sort of like with a passion uh, then de- definitely just just go for it did you say it was your birthday today yes yep that's incredible. Why are you recording a podcast with me on your birthday? Oh, because it's pretty... uh, it's an amazing, it's a very nice opportunity. So I, I didn't want to uh, miss miss that either. Oh, Chris, you are too kind. You're too kind. Well, happy birthday! Oh, you know, congratulations you. to thank you. You. Um, you. I didn't even know. I would never have known, Chris. You hit it so well. Sure. Um, all right. Well, I'm very happy you're here. Thank you for chatting with me. Um, I do want to pick your brain about a few things, though. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the Indie Insider podcast, so I want to chat with you about um, some of your thoughts on you know what the independent video games industry is like right now, uh, especially from an art perspective. And uh, and I do want to still talk to you a, a bit more about your projects and your books. And I want to hear you know at least a little bit. I don't know how open you can be, but I want to hear about this project you were teasing with uh, Phil Hale, you and Phil. Um, so t- tell me, tell me a little bit about what you're working on now. Uh, sure. The, well, now that the second book is out, I can, uh, focus more of my time on the video game. And as I mentioned, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's no, uh, I would like to approach this, this project very openly. So I'll be sharing, uh, screenshots and some, uh, sort of movie clips, uh, on, on my sort of uh, social media channels um, so okay. as as the game progresses, but it really is it's like a, an amazing. Well, Phil is an amazing artist. He's uh, done uh, traditionally. He was uh, sort of uh, when he was younger. He really specialized in illustrations and cover art. So he did covers for DC Comics um, of Batman and sort of like a whole host of sort of superheroes and yeah. uh, really very iconic uh, and quite dark 
paintings, um, theme, dark themed uh, paintings. Um, now he specializes in figurative uh, portraiture. Actually, he, he does a very exclusive portraits uh, that hang in. One of them is in the National Portrait Gallery, but he also does his own fine art paintings. Uh, but this, what he asked me to interpret or like to uh, uh, sort of develop a game is based on this Johnny Badhair. Uh, character. So if you look up on the internet, Johnny Badhair, Phil Hale, you'll find this uh, character, sort of very muscular, very powerful uh, character with uh, spiky hair. And he's always fighting this mysterious robot, which is just off screen. Uh, sorry, just out of the picture frame. Just sure. you, you might see the side of the head or, or an arm. And um, so I was you know I, I thought this was just such an amazing opportunity um, so I, I quit my job uh, last year this with this small games company here in Zurich and committed to to um, working on this game and for um, I just like with my Pixar idea you know I naively thought okay this is gonna happen I don't know how but I'm gonna make this game it's gonna be awesome I'm still ma- <laughs> I'm still working on it but uh, so I started looking around for uh, who to make it with because my my skills are very focused on the uh, creative direction um, rather than uh, production you know definitely no programming uh, from me but uh, so I started off with some uh, help with a, with a student uh, from the local university uh, who'd recently graduated in game design. Then I hired um, a local game developer to develop, work on the prototype. So in a way, at the beginning, it was um, kind of having someone work on the prototype for a little bit just to get some ideas. And then uh, they ran out of time. They had to do another project. So I'd ask someone else to kind of take over. Um, and um, it was very slow going, but I, I mean, I, I don't have that much time either. I was working still on my second book, and um, also my, my son uh, sort of came, <laughs> so arrived at one point. Right. Um, but it's so it's really, t- but it was tough going to find the people who were, had the time to commit long term and also the experience because Switzerland is has a very 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 young industry and so we don't have any or many sort of developers who have worked on big uh, sort of studio games um, and so what I ended up doing was out of desperation I started uh, sort of contacting people directly who are who are st- still working at uh, the big studios but with the hope that they might be interested enough in the project that they might work on the weekends or something like that sure and uh, so now the team is actually very exciting because I you know I, I didn't know how, how this would go when I uh, said yes to the project but now uh, the character was uh, the first draft of the character was made by a character artist at Ubisoft Montreal um, oh wow uh, the program gameplay programmer uh, was uh, worked at on the Assassin's Creed franchise at Ubisoft Singapore he he quit and just as he quit, I managed to kind of find, uh, got in con- connection, contact with him via a friend of his, and now he's developing the gameplay for me. And um, we had an animator doing uh, the animation, uh, prototyping the animation, who works at Rockstar in New York. Wow. I have cool. a, ro- a character, an amazing uh, artist who's making the robot in Tehran. Uh, in uh, sort of so like all over the place well Phil of course is the arts the sort of in a way he has the top spot so he's uh, works in uh, he's based in London and I also have a a very uh, cool uh, technical director who actually came is uh, from the film industry so he worked on James Cameron's Avatar and uh, the Hunger Games and he's bringing a bit of the Hollywood <laughs> quality to, to our environment. So um, it's it's really exciting to um, have my kind of, um, I don't know what to, like my initial 
uh, enthusiasm for the project to have it sort of validated in a way that you know it's, one is that uh, people are attracted to Phil's work anyway. So when they hear that you know they they recognise his name um, a lot a lot of, or when they see his work at least they they know it's it's sort of gonna of a high quality. Um, but also sure. now that the gameplay is slowly becoming more defined and we really know what we want, it's also nice to see that. Um, uh, also, it's it's kind of comforting, sort of uh, for me to sort of see that I have managed to um, bring together a, a team that I could never imagined would be possible for someone based in Zurich, you know, very far away from the the big studios, mm-hmm. uh, to have developers that are really such lovely people, but I've never actually physically met them before. So we've only communicated over Skype. Uh, right. But the, there's, you know, really just a, a combination of people who are, are lovely and, and very, very determined. So the character artist at Ubisoft Montreal actually has his day job. He works on, uh, you know, all, all the games that are coming out from Ubisoft. He has three children. Um, wow. But uh, and still <laughs> has the energy to to work on 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 the character for uh for uh my game so um it's it's sort of like you know very very dedicated team and and now we're sort of it's very exciting to see the gameplay coming together the visuals uh slowly coming together and um you know now we can really start thinking about uh a product uh, a prototype uh, the, the serious parts uh, sort of like the the next stage of prototyping and also like the production plan uh, after that. So it's a sort of like step by step, and in a way, maybe what's interesting for the lis- listeners of the the podcast is that uh, everyone really is working part time. Uh, you know, I, I definitely can now now with my son, I cannot focus on on work right. for too long sure. just because there's always something to do, and we. Uh, so the the agreement amongst everybody is that we you know we we have our day jobs we have our families and we we just try and press on um, and ensure that the uh, in a way in a way ensure that the game doesn't get too big and too out of hand that we 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 want to release it so there's we also try to maintain. Um, a clear idea of the that the gameplay should be uh, exciting, but sort of like also manageable, and it's it's not going to be an uncharted game <laughs> with like uh, one environment after another, but it's sort of like a revisiting of the same locations, perhaps, but a different uh, kind of set of obstacles uh, to to overcome. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that is a powerhouse team that you have put together. And I'm looking at the art, the Johnny Bad Hair art that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool. I, I can see a game being put together like this, especially with, you know, the team that you've put together and their previous works. I, I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. about it. This looks great. Oh, cool. Thank you. It's, uh, and it's, um, you know, and, and what's exciting also is that you know, Johnny Bad Hair has never been uh, brought to life in a sense of an animation or... Um, or uh, sort of a video game, so it's you know it'll be the first time that the character is uh, comes to life through animation. Also, the first time that fans of Johnny Bad Hair will uh, get to see the robot, um, and it's so exciting for me to be part of this. You know, to to give my input and bring the right people together, um, and also some some things you know like I. Um, just as a as a because my my job my role is sort of like a creative director and a producer. Um, sure. I know it's it's not a good idea to have both of those roles, but the team is small enough <laughs> at the moment. Uh, just because it's sort of like the the bigger the team gets, you really should have a dedicated producer. And but at this stage, it's um, really exciting. You know, like I sort of. Um, we're even going to get a uh, contemporary dancer to uh, in the UK to uh, interpret the paintings because Phil's paintings, the, the figures in Phil's paintings, have uh, are very often very contorted and they have a very iconic way of moving, also suggested uh, mo- movement. And so there's sure. exciting things like we'll get a contemporary dancer to interpret those movements and use motion capture and film that performance to inspire the animators uh, to do the in-game animations and things like that so it's very exciting um for me because i it it sort of uh it i suppose it relates to my love of travel um that's like meeting new people and 
when you've got a project like this, you, it's almost as if you have a license to approach anyone you want, uh, you know, and say, you know, I'm working on this project, uh, you're, uh, you have these skills, would you be interested? And it's sort of, it's exciting to realize that, um, yeah, that my, my location here in Zurich, it doesn't limit me at all that, uh, you know, if I even, um, I'm not sure if it's sort of appropriate to to mention, but I even contacted uh, the guy who did uh, the monkey, uh, uh, sort of supervised the ape uh, performances for Planet of the Apes. He's, oh, wow. Um, so because it's, it's sort of, it, I mean, I might still uh, get to hire him, but it's it was just my, um, this, uh, I would say kind of naivety that, um, you know, I realized that <laughs> if you, uh, if you have an idea, sort of it's, you know, you, you should try and get the the best people you can for it. And, um, and the idea is that, you know, they, they are accessible, you know, I mean, these people want to work. So if you have a, an interesting project, um, then, you know, why, why not, you know, and, and sort of it's, it's for me, definitely something that is exciting sort of to, to realize that I can contact people like that. And, um, you know, they can really bring something very unique to what is essentially an indie game, but we're approaching it uh, as if it was much bigger, sort of like with, without, um, yeah, sort of the the restrictions that so sort of the limitations that you you might uh, think you have as a as an indie developer that's probably the number one thing i appreciate about you just from talking with you chris is you have this hustle about you it seems like you're always <laughs> okay. going you you know you're like i i can't draw well enough i want to animate like um uh, who was it a andrew jones uh, the metroid prime yes um, yeah. So I'm going to go take classes and I'm going to go quit my job and study for two years. I'm going to study painting and I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep getting better. I'm going to keep getting better. Uh, I'm building an indie game. So I'm going to go out and get these huge people who I've never met before and, and just put something together. I really respect that about you. So, um, and I would encourage, you know, aspiring developers out there who have, you know, dreams, have an idea of this great game to not feel limited by that. I mean, the world has been, made very small by the internet and you know anything's possible so uh chris thank you for sharing that hustle on this <laughs> <Sure>. episode <laughs> sure sure uh oh no it's, it's definitely something that i mean i i also sort of appreciate that it's not something that happens overnight in some cases that it's, it's sort of just uh, i think the thing to keep in uh, that i keep in the back of my mind that it's um it's not to uh, expect success overnight or within a year or two years. Um, you know, I, I started this um, this uh, kind of journey towards where I am now uh, over ten years ago. And uh, but I, I suppose I, to be honest, I like as, as you mentioned, I, I I've always had this kind of naive, uh, hustling uh, kind of <laughs> spirit uh, about me. But uh, it's also, uh, you know, where I am now, I never would have imagined uh, I would be in this uh, position, sort of like to, uh, you know, to have uh, written a book like uh, Interactive Storytelling and, and Stories and Video Game Art. Um, so it's sort of, it's, it's sort of like a, 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 a long term this awareness that yeah i i don't have so much time you know we we all uh, it, it sort of like uh you know that we, we don't live live forever but it's also not to feel too uh pressured if things don't work out within six months or a year um that often things take a very long time and um you know even with this johnny badhair game for the first year uh, I had a lot of ideas, but there was really very little to show for it. I had this very, very primitive prototype, which I would be I'll, I'll try to force myself to show at some point in the future. <laughs> but it's it's so ugly and strange that uh, it was more to get a feeling for the movements. But, you know, in my mind, I had to kind of project what I uh, sort of envisioned for the final game and it's sort of like you know but for a long state time it was just like that and you know people uh, yeah, I'm not sure what what others would have thought of it um, so it's sort of just a, a long a long game uh, this uh, so it's not also a good thing not to put too much pressure on yourself and just to um, know that if you work long and hard enough at something that 
um, yeah, you, you, you will eventually get results that will even surprise yourself. I want to talk about interactive stories and video game art, your second book, and some of the themes therein. And I want to apply that to the independent video game industry. Mm-hmm. So tell me, I guess we'll start in broad terms. What do you think about what you're seeing in the indie video game scene right now, especially you know, in relation to art and storytelling in games? Uh, well, that's it's, uh, the indie game scene is the most exciting um, kind of play area for storytelling and, and game art because the big studios are, um, you know, have invest so much money into, um, you know, the, the main franchises that they have to be very, very conservative uh, when it comes to the graphical style, uh, you know, we there's that's why we tend to have a lot of uh, very realistic uh, games. You know, they might have some variation, minor variations in the style, but uh, realism is the easiest uh, to sell. Uh, also, how games are designed, uh, they follow very formal uh, structures, even though the cutscenes and the set pieces might be very um, visually pleasing but Mm -hmm. the game design is still very uh, formal and uh, when it comes to indie games uh, you know the the costs are lower the studios are smaller and uh, the audience is also much more uh, open to experiencing uh, new types of experiences and uh, so, you know, sort of I played, um, so, you know, Inside is just an incredible uh, game. Yeah. Um, also, um, uh, sort of games like Firewatch, The Beginner's Guide, uh, Gone Home, um, you know, all these uh, very, very powerful and very innovative uh, storytelling experiences, which would never have been possible uh, with, uh, you know, if you, if uh, sort of with, um if they started out, uh, you know, sort of coming from a big studio. And uh, so it's exciting to see these kind of experiments. Also, maybe experiments is too derogatory. Sort of these kind of um, uh, adventurous um, uh, video games coming out of indie games, Mm -hmm. in the indie game scene. And uh, it's it's sort of like, I think, a testing ground uh, to see what works and what doesn't. And I, I imagine we'll slowly start to see it in the AAA games when when they uh, you know uh, sort of uh, they slowly start to assimilate the the creativity that indie games are doing, which is sort of the same thing that happens in in film as well. The art house scene is also sure. where you get the most experimentation, and then it it kind of trickles through to to the bigger um, bigger films, bigger budget films. Well, you have your uh, I guess finger on you know the art in games and, and what's going on you know in that aspect of this industry. Uh, what do you see is the future of art in video games? Uh, it just it, it maybe in general, both in indie and in AAA. Uh, sure. Well, it's, uh, from a storytelling perspective, um, as I actually had just uh, wrote a a blog post for Gamma mm-hmm. Sutra, mm-hmm. which was published uh, yesterday evening, and uh, it looks at uh, sort of the how not to do storytelling and how how certain games have done it really exceptionally well. And I think what's exciting about um, indie sort of like the possibilities for the future are just um, you know un- one is to to that we're slowly starting to really understand what uh, what makes uh, video games uh, what is sort of the, uh, what makes uh, video game art so uh, unique so what are the unique qualities of um, video game art and um, and understanding how the player um, uh, interacts aesthetically with the video game experience and um, there are so I realize I'm mumbling my way through because it's uh, what I, I like for example maybe it's better to pick out a game like Firewatch um, you know it does things so well it's it's still it's perhaps not my the best game I've uh, ever played but it has such an interesting approach to storytelling where you um, 
really it, it goes beyond anything that a film uh, can do that you really uh, participate uh, sort of you, you can really have a, a very very heightened sense of empathy for the characters in the story in a way that uh, you can't in any other medium because you're uh, the player is a, an actor in a way they're physically engaging with uh, uh, the artwork and the more we uh, understand this um, I think the more variety of uh, topics and themes that games will will be able to explore where it's it won't just be about um you know being entertained but really some very very powerful um touching uh experiences for the record um the gamma sutra blog article that you put out it's called the unreliable game master player motivation in story-driven games um you did send it to me ahead of time, um, and it's actually a quite impressive article. You talk about everything from um, the Disney movie Wreck-It Ralph to games like Firewatch and, uh, um, oh gosh, what else? Oh, Gone uh, Home. Gone Home and, Gone Home inside. The other, yes, and Inside yeah. the Other yeah. Indie Ones, yeah. as well as uh, larger projects like uh, Uncharted, Uncharted yes, 4. Yeah. Um, can you tell me just a, a little bit about what that article's about and maybe tie that into you know what we've been discussing? Uh, sure, it's because uh, it's uh, the title, as you say, is the unreliable game master, and it's just highlights that um, game design is has its roots in uh, board games and you know, traditional games like chess. Sort of these are very formal uh, game design structures. So uh, a characteristic of formal game design is that you have very explicit rules and very clear objectives. So. Mm-hmm. The player knows what they have to do and what their goal is. And when they reach their goal, they they win. They beat the game. <laughs> uh, when it comes to storytelling, this is very damaging because uh, you you kind of in- instinctively know what what the ending is already before you've even uh, set off on the journey. And so, what the unreliable game master highlights is that. Uh, in my opinion, all the most successful story-driven games that have been released in the past few years um, have, uh, or the designers of these games, have approached the, their role um, as that of very informally. Uh, so rather than formal game design, informally, in the sense that the the rules are not always clear and definitely the objectives are questionable and very vague. And so when you play this game, you're, you're, you, you have to, you end up questioning your role uh, in the game. And uh, the, what, what this does is it means that the ending can, uh, is open to interpretation or it's open to a plot twist and some very uh, exciting experiences. And I highlight that, uh, you know, and this is a very, very crucial uh, point, sort of like a very important concept, uh, I feel, for for game designers of story-driven games. And in this article, I highlight that games like Uncharted and Assassin's Creed and uh, the Halo franchise, Mm -hmm. they're actually very much based on this formal structure uh, where you, um, you know, there's so much... Uh, Hollywood-style cinematics uh, surrounding it, but they're actually you—you you know, from uh, mission to mission, what you have to do. Uh, whereas games like uh, Inside and Firewatch and Gone Home, and The Stanley Parable and The Beginner's Guide—they uh, yeah. all use this unreliable game master concept, where you—you—you you question your existence and you feel more alive in the game world and. You and you know the the game designer can is is playing with you in a way and and this is much more exciting than uh, when everything is explicit and uh, sort of all the the rules and the objectives are out on the table. When you're approaching something like that the, as an unreliable game master, uh, but also as an artist, what how should artists approach something like that what's the mentality in terms of i don't know trying to trick your audience in some regard using uh, art in video games um well that's when uh, sort of because what i highlight in the article is that we you know games are fundamentally um you know game design is is sort of the essence of of our art form and so you 
um, game mechanics sort of like you know sort of you know gets to point A to press a switch or mm-hmm. go to point B, you know at its simplest, uh, they are what drives the experience. They are what um, motivates the player to act uh, to do something. Um, and those are the sort of like the explicit uh, part of the game. Right. Whereas uh, art, game art, is where you can start to mislead, uh, or at, in one sense, at the most basic, is that you can uh, change that experience of uh, going from a, point A to point B. You can change it aesthetically, so you can make that experience uh, very feel very dangerous or very pleasant. Or even better is to start off pleasant and then gradually change, distort the environment, change the characters, you know, and, and tell a story so that the, the point A to B journey has a, as a visual narrative, which influences the player visually, but also interactively. And when it comes to storytelling, uh, how this, um, you know, the idea is that you, you have a story you want to tell, which could be inspired by a piece of music, a painting, mm-hmm. um, a, you know, a real life experience of yours. And uh, in a way, you have to, um, using the Gone Home example, is that you, you have a narrative, uh, ex- an aesthetic experience you want to communicate, and you have game mechanics to drive the movements of the player or drive the player forward. Um, but you can completely misdirect them using the game art. You can, uh, you know, make them feel like they're walking around in a horror game, whereas the the horror references actually have um, a more meaningful function that may not be what you anticipate by playing that game. So it's sort of the the game art is. Uh, how I describe it, it's, it's sort of like the, the game mechanics are um, the tangible uh, mechanism like that uh, gets, uh, gets the action moving, but it's, it's sort of like it has a game mechanics have a very uh, rigid structure, mm-hmm. whereas the game art uh, engages the imagination and uh, kind of uh, sort of gives, gives that rigid structure something much more meaningful. Uh, sort of it, it sort of uh, yeah awakens the the imagination, and and that can be manipulated, um, you know, misdirected, uh, sort of you know all the sort of exciting narrative uh, techniques that you can imagine. I'm smiling just listening to you. Like this is all I'm I'm picturing everything. I'm especially picturing Gone Home as you describe all of this, and I can totally see you know where you're coming from and how if I were building a game, you know what that would mean, what that sort of um, approach to the art can do. So thank you so much, Chris, for, for sharing all these thoughts. If you want to check out his article on Yamasutra, that is The Unreliable Game Master, Player Motivation in Story-Driven Games. And of course, you can also read Interactive Stories and Video Game Art, Chris's new book. Now, Chris, before I let you go, uh, at the end of every episode, I do ask my guests to share a piece of advice with the uh, aspiring developers, the aspiring game artists out there. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to send people home with today? Um, I think it's um, what I close my this Gamma Sutra article about the unrelatable narrator sort of in the last paragraph I highlight that um, up until now the role of the game designer was very I think quite narrow you you really had to just specialize in game design sort of and but I think as a game designer of uh, sort of in the next generation of storytelling video games, um, it's important to uh, become much broader in your knowledge. That uh, I compare it very much to a film director. A film director has kind of technical knowledge of cameras, lighting, um, even uh, sort of like the uh, acting. You know, there's mm-hmm. uh, color theory, composition. Um, you know, so they uh, uh, they have a very very broad knowledge, and it's their job to bring it all together. Uh, you know, sort of to coordinate everything, orchestrate it to tell a powerful story. And I think the future game designers should aim to also be to learn about classical arts to learn about acting and all these techniques which um, are what uh, sort of video games 
are essentially a, a combination of like a, because it's yeah so there's so many uh, very d- different and very disciplines which come together to create a video game experience and I and I, I would encourage uh, listeners to sort of uh, yeah not not think too too narrow that the next generation of games you'll you'll you know the more worldly uh, and uh, sort of uh, well-read sort of and uh, sort of as diverse your knowledge is the better. That's pretty sound advice from Chris Solarski. Um, <laughs> he is the author of Interactive Stories and Video Game Art, his new book. Uh, it is out now. And uh, Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, sincerely, this, this has been great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for the opportunity. I mean, it's, it's sort of like a, a pleasure was, was all mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, if people are really feeling inspired and they want to know more about you and they want to follow your Johnny Bad Hair project or, or anything else for that matter, how do they find you out on the interwebs? Uh, sure. I think the the um, most direct way is to go to my homepage, which is just uh, solaskistudio.com. Um, and from there, you'll find links to uh, Facebook, which is also Solaski Studio, and Twitter, which is also uh, Solaski Studio. So I, th- I think that's the, the easiest uh, place. place uh, that's the easiest route to take. Excellent. I like it. And of course, you listeners, you've been checking out Indie Insider. It is the weekly podcast where I get to chat with awesome people like Chris here uh, and share our thoughts and stories and experiences, and especially uh, what we think about everything Indie. Now, this podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm out there to help developers and artists and all those amazing people make great games and share them with great players just like yourselves uh and that's why i get to bring this show every week to you um so please support uh you can find us of course out on itunes give us a review we appreciate it if you'd like to connect with the show you have thoughts questions comments concerns i'll take them all you can shoot me an email logan at blackshellmedia.com you can also connect on twitter at logan a schultz And of course, we will be back again next week with another exciting installment of Indie Insider.